what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Thank you, Steve. Uh, so, a little bit over a year ago, um, I was going to fill in for Pastor Christie on a Sunday during the summer. And uh, this was actually the sort of the, what we were going to talk about that Sunday was kind of brief pray worship, the work we do. This has been a side project that Shanna and I have been doing for years. Um, really birthed out of some of our hardest life experiences um, and dealing with emotional hardship that related to um, our divorces that we experienced separately. Um, we didn't divorce each other, but we've both been divorced, and that is clarity. Um, and then, uh, what happened, I was supposed to come in and I was going to do this talk around Greek prayer worship and the ministry of presence and yada, yada, yada. And then I get this call from the district superintendent. He's like, no, 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 we don't want you to come guest preach. We, we actually just want you to, you know, take the church and be the pastor there. And so all of that went out the window. Um, and uh, we haven't come back to it, mostly because I, this, is, this is a side project we do. Um, people financially support the ministry, all of that stuff. And uh, I didn't necessarily want to just drive in on brief prayer worship because I didn't want, uh, you know, conflict of interest, yada, yada, yada. So, but we're going to talk about it today because it fits so well into this conversation we're having around stories of refuge and what does it mean to become a spiritual safe haven for people who are out in the world, hurt, wandering, but looking for a God or some sort of spiritual divine connection. And so um, that is why we're kind of coming back into this conversation today. Um, oh, and little things on the overhead. Could you put an E at the end of breath? So it's breathe. Um, sorry, I'm looking on the side back wall. It totally distracted me. Um, so because Shannon also doesn't necessarily uh, do public speaking all the time, we decided the, the best method would be if I just asked her leading questions. And you guys listen to me all the time, so I'm going to try to... This is going to be a hard part on a Sunday. He has to not talk over me. I'm going to try to not talk. I'm going to ask the questions, and by God's grace, I am then going to remain silent. Um, so those of you who pray and believe in miracles, you can start praying right now that I can actually do that. <sighs> all right, I got this. I can do this. Uh, all right, so brief pray worship. Can you just share initially where the name came from and why it's significant? So it came from the darkest point in our life, really. Um, we were going through our divorces at the same time. Um, obviously, several people. And um, it really started with um, us reminding each other that uh, if all you do today is breathe, like that's enough. 
If your whole world is falling apart and all you do is breathe, that's great. Um, and then the second part is praying. Um, and we came down to, like, when things are really bad, if it's just a grunt or a yell or a scream, like, that's okay, too. He knows your heart. It's fine. And then the hardest part, which is why it's number three, is worship. Because when things get really bad and hard, um, it's hard to find something to worship, to be happy about. So, um, stepping into that and saying, like, the sun came up today. It's raining in the Pacific Northwest in October, finally. Like, let's worship that. But it keeps us green, you know? Find something and then celebrate it. And so then we put it into this mantra that we remind ourselves of when things get really hard. The first step is just breathe. Take a big, deep breath. And then pray. And then worship something. And we just stepped into that and just would repeat it as a reminder. Yeah, it's still a mantra I think we still use when things get crazy or we're getting like overwhelmed. We just remind each other, like, stop. Breathe, pray, worship. And that was that. I mean, even going into my little intro, is, I was at a spot where it was really dark, and I felt like, oh, I should do all this, I should do this. And I was just a wreck emotionally when I went through my divorce. It, it affected my identity, my value, who I thought I was, who God created me to be. And um, one of my support people was just like, just stop. Like, all of that will still be there tomorrow. But if today you manage to breathe and make it to tomorrow, then it's a successful day. Um, I think it's important to tie in to just the impact of depression. And right now, uh, there's it's Suicide Awareness Month as well. And for a lot of people who are dealing with mental health issues, it's a challenge. And sometimes, if you're dealing with things and you go like, all I did today was breathe, it's a great day. Because once you breathe, then you can make it till tomorrow. Once you're breathing, you have wind to pray. Um, so, yeah, it became our mantra and still is. Um, so just a little bit of background on your, what was growing up like for you? Because some worlds, divorce is whatever. People divorce, it's no big deal. But it's still somewhat taboo in Christian circles. So Yeah, not, that's not my life. Um, my uh, parents... We'll be celebrating 40 years this December, married. Um, so um, divorce was not in my life. Um, never really saw that, um, except for on TV movies, right? Um, I was raised in small, independent Christian churches. Um, divorce was very taboo, right? Um, God hates divorce, was actually said to me multiple times um, throughout my journey. Um, and uh, even my grandparents, aunts, uncles, like everybody married for multiple, you know, I mean, grandparents were still married until grandma's passing. Like, it just, it just wasn't seen in my family. So, uh, generationally, it was taboo. And then the churches I was raised in, taboo. So to step outside of that was um, that's a big deal. 
And so you're going through a divorce and dealing with kind of the, uh, I guess before I ask the next question too, which isn't there, but we're prepared for it. So was it easy for you? Like what was going on emotionally for you while you were going through the divorce? <laughs> That's never easy. Um, no. To make that choice, to make that decision, um, it really came down to weighing um, life pre-divorce and what that looked like and what it would look like afterwards. Um, and of course, you never really know what it's going to look like afterwards, but you have an idea. Like, is it going to be? Would it be better? Um, is this the better choice for me, my children? Um, and then for me, personally, I actually didn't tell anyone until everything was finalized because of the uh, backlash, repercussions, the shootings that would come along with it, everybody's opinions. Um, so I actually hid and went through it pretty much alone um, because I was afraid of what would be said to me until I can say that, well, it's all done. Sorry, guys. Yeah, so uh, part of the backstory too, Shanna's family and I have known each other for a long time. So I actually met Shanna when she was in middle school and I worked for her dad and we met in similar churches. So that was kind of how we also met while we were going through all of our hardship. A lot of people were like, oh, so-and-so is also like struggling now. Maybe you guys should like talk and support each other. So that was kind of the reconnection point for us. Um, but so you mentioned a little bit of kind of that fear of backlash. Um, from family and whatnot. Did you at that point, as we're talking about what it means for a church to become a spiritual safe haven, did you see the church as a safe place? Or what was that like from um, the faith world? And did you feel like you could be authentic and transparent with those you knew in the faith church community? Uh, no, not at all. And mostly because I, I mean, I'd heard that God hates divorce, right? So then I was hesitant and nervous. Um, I did try to um, get back into a church community. Um, and I actually had the experience of um, <clears throat> a pastor, when I was walking into the sanctuary, saw me coming, knew what I was going through, and uh, diverted, as he's walking towards me, diverted down a pew lane to avoid me to go out of his side door because he didn't want to interact with me because um, I was messy. I was broken. I was um, not the ideal um, image for, you know, the church. I was a newly single mom with a lot of baggage <laughs> and um, having that experience on top of what I'd always been raised to believe was ideal um, really had me questioning my choices and should I have just stuck it out and that was hard 
Yeah, I, uh, when I went through my divorce, um, when I was sharing I was actually, uh, when I, we separated from my wife initially, I was actually on staff at a church. And all of a sudden, a lot of people in the church didn't know what to do with me, right? Here's this pastor who is separated, going through a divorce, and literally to have people, I mean, it, it happened more than I wish it did. Now, I will say, there's challenges in the, the church world when it comes to taboo things. How do we actually support people when they're facing their hardest, most difficult times of life? Um, but the experience of people physically going out of their way to avoid contact, as if it's like a contagious disease. If you get too close, like watch out, it may rub off on you, kind of thing, um, was really real. And so that spiritual world, at, at a point when, at least for me, I, I went really dark. I mean, I will... I was fairly depressed. I was drinking myself to sleep some nights um, because all of my identity was wrapped around in being a good father, and I was determined to be that, and being a pastor. And in the community, I coached the Little League for 10 years. I was known. If I went to the grocery store, I would just always hear, it was either, hey, pastor, or, hey, coach. We had, you know, 15 kids at our house on a Friday night because our house was the place to be. And all of a sudden... I'm going through a divorce that I didn't want, and all of that identity was being taken away from me. So not only am I dealing with the loss, but I, I was dealing with like significant identity issues and value. Like if well, if I'm not a pastor and I'm not a good dad, and like then what worth do I have? Like do I even have value? I'm just this failed, broken human being, and I didn't think I had much to offer the world. And then to show up in church and have people physically diverting themselves. Right? And this is what we're talking about. The goal here is not just like, oh, you got to know the story. But what does it look like for West Portland United Methodists to become a spiritual safe haven for people who are at their darkest, hardest hours? Maybe have experienced some spiritual abuse in the past, but for some reason there's a hunger and a longing for the divine, and for whatever reason they choose to walk through our doors. What are they met with? How are they greeted? What language do we use around some of these taboo subjects? Do they feel like it's a safe place where they can be transparent? Do they feel like, oh, I'm, I'm curious, but I have to hide this part of who I am? Because I have a different political opinion, different idea around sexual identity and orientation, a different opinion about divorce, or a different opinion about drinking, or, or I'm dealing with some addictions or whatnot, and I have to come to church and hide part of who I am, because the church isn't safe. That's a heavy question, and I don't think it's easily answered. But I'm not supposed to talk, so I'm going to go back to these questions. <clears throat> um, uh, so, one of the things we want to talk about is just the idea of assumptions, right? So, when you see someone and they're going through a hard time, how does assumption play into how people are greeted? A lot of times, we make quick assumptions that if someone within our sphere has experienced anything, um, divorce, grief, addiction, then we are able to speak to it, right? Your um, sister has experienced something, so therefore you understand. But it's really difficult for us to remember that 
nobody's experience is exactly the same as somebody else's. Um, so while he and I have both been divorced, our divorces are extremely different. Um, while I lost my grandmother, my grief is not the same as my grandpa who lost a wife, or my dad who lost a mom. We, both, we all lost the same person, but our grief is not the same. And so to speak to um, those experiences is, is a careful thing that we need to consider. Um, we need to not make the assumption that we just automatically understand. Um, especially if it's just someone that you know, like, and you hear that they're going through something. Um, to be present with them is one thing. To assume that you automatically understand, um, or, I don't know, that um, your experience is just like theirs. Um, it, I'm going to tell you it's not. <laughs> It's not just exactly like theirs. Yeah, I think uh, if we don't, we, we talk about this with curiosity too. So like when someone's going through a hardship, oftentimes we have a curiosity because we want to know. And we often think that curiosity is also a sign of, of caring. Like, oh, like I want to know about, oh, and what did they do then? And what, but a lot of times curiosity, even around this assumption, curiosity is more at that point a selfish act. It is about, I'm curious, so I want to know the details of your story. I need to satisfy my curiosity. And that's different from, you know what, I'm going to set aside my curiosity, because I do have questions, but I'm going to set aside my curiosity and just be present with you. And I'm going to let you share what you're willing to share. I'm going to let you not share what you're not ready to share. Right? Your safety and being able to be transparent and present is more important than my curiosity. And I'm not going to answer assumptions. One of the things that happens, uh, we use this phrase a lot, um, when, and this is where I have to be careful, when, when we don't know a piece of someone's story, it is often, and, and when I left the church I was at, I, I was eventually, I was asked to resign, all of that, and uh, my lead pastor didn't really want the story getting out, because he didn't, you know, it would look bad for the church or whatever. So, um, I wasn't allowed to share what was going on. Now, I wasn't going to share details, but I like, let's just share what's like, Pastor Stevens going through a separation. Like, but because people didn't know, they made assumptions in the story. And people often will insert either their biggest hurt, right? so their own past experience if something's going on. And so I had all sorts of stuff. My oldest kid was in college, and I, like, he went off the rails and got someone pregnant. I mean, I heard all sorts of, like, people inserting stories. And it's usually either our deepest hurt or our biggest fear. I'm so afraid of that happening to me. And they're going through a hard time, and they don't really know what's happening, so I'm going to project my biggest fear on them in that story. And to be at a spot of being present with people where we can set assumptions aside... We can even set our curiosity aside to not make up a story. Oh, well, I hear they must be, or it's because, um, and to set those aside to just be present. And so, um, brief prayer worship is often just talked about as um, 
a ministry of presence. What does that mean? Um, we like to call it like a casserole ministry. Um, so just showing up and being present um, with people, it, even if that just means just bringing a casserole. Um, what is hard and funny to understand is that if I ended up in the hospital, people will show up for him, for Taylor, and say, we made you guys dinner, what do you guys need, does she need help getting to school, like all of these things. And people rally because you're in the hospital and unless you're a doctor, like, I can't fix that. I'm gonna step away, but I can, I can do these things. I can step in and help with food or transportation. Um, when we're going through something messy, people tend to run away, like a divorce or addiction or something like that. And what we've noticed is that during those hard times, divorce, addiction, grief, it would mean the world to someone if somebody just brought you dinner or said, are you having, you seem to be having a really tough week. Can I help you with the kids? Um, and so creating that ministry of presence, that casserole ministry and just stepping in, um, really just supports people in a very special way. We do it for a lot of other things and, and stepping into those, those hard times um, can, can really mean the world to people. Yeah. I think one of the challenges in the church is we have, you know, there's a verse that says that we ought to avoid even the appearance of evil. And there's this fear of guilty by association, right? So if, if Shannon was to break her leg and went to the hospital, most of you would not try to fix her broken leg, right? You would leave that to the doctors and pray for her and just show up. But with the messy stuff, uh, either you, know, you run away or we try to fix it. Like, well, let me become the amateur psychologist. Listen, dear, I read a book recently and I heard a sermon. And so what, all you need to do to fix the messiness in your life, because and usually sermons have three points, right? Especially if you're Presbyterian sermons, all three point sermons. Uh, and so here's this, all you have to do is three things, and you can fix your messiness. Oh, if you would just pray more. Yes. Well, you know, those who pray together stay together. Uh, and we say things, often in the church, with good intent, that is extremely harmful for people who are struggling. And so how do we be present uh, really matters, right? To show up and say, like, hey, you're... Struggling with addiction right now, and I don't care if I'm guilty by association showing up at your house, but you know what? Here's a casserole. I'm sorry you're facing something so hard, I can't fix that, but but here's food, and we love you. Well, you're not going to tell me I'm wrong, you're not going to tell me I'm sinning, you're not going to try to fix me, you're not going to, like, you're just going to show up with a casserole and say you love me? I think there is I mean, so the guilty by association, but there's also um, a lot of people worried about condoning it. If I go and I spend time with someone who 
is going through an addiction, then I must be enabling them. I must condone their behavior. Well, that's not necessarily true. That just means that I acknowledge that they're going through something really difficult right now. And it's really hard to do that alone. And it's gonna be even harder to get out of that alone. When you're in a really deep, dark pit with no rope and no help, it's gonna be hard to get out. So when somebody is there with you, it, it's that much easier. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're condoning it. It just means that they're standing with you through it. One of the interesting things about the idea of Ministry of Presence, because I, I rock climbing. When I was in Olympia, we had a really kind of broad climbing community. And um, my friends who I would go like to the bar with after a climbing event showed up in my life far more than my church community did. And somehow they were able to be present with me in a way that the devout couldn't. Um, I remember one day when I was at just fairly like dark spot, it was pretty late in the evening, I get a phone call, and it's one of my climbing buddies, and he's like, hey, I know you've you know, been struggling and whatnot, but we're, I'm with so-and-so, and we're on our way to get you, we're going out tonight. And I'm like, I don't feel like it. Life is just horrible. And I was just, and they're like, no, no, I wasn't asking you. I'm telling you, we are on our way. And I'm like, no, I haven't even showered. It was probably like seven in the evening. I haven't even showered in days. Like, and they're like, well, that's still your choice. Like, I'm not dressed. I'm like, well, then you're going out in your boxers. But we are on our way to come and get you. And they didn't care what state I was in. It was unconditional on me. They're like that. If you choose, like, we'll be there in about 20 minutes. You could choose to shower or not shower. That's on you. We are coming. And we're going to be there. I did, I did shower. So, by the way, I had 20 minutes. I, I showered. I put new fresh clothes on. Um, but that tenacity to, to show up. Um, and I just think if... As a church, as a faith community, when we can show up and we can bring God with us, how transformative can that be in people's lives? And just think about people in your own world that you know who are hurting right now. And maybe it's not messy. And maybe you even have some judgment about why they're hurting. Well, you've just made poor financial choices, and that's why you're in this spot. Oh, you you know, we, we have our opinions. What would it look like for some of the people who are hurting in our world if we set those opinions aside and we just said, you know what? We're coming. Ready or not, we're going to show up at the casserole, we're going to take you to lunch, we're going to not judge whatever has got you in this situation. We are simply going to show up with casserole, take them to lunch, whatever, and say we love you. And leave it at that. How much worth how much of the gospel message that there's there's a God who loves you and that you were created by design and with intent and that you matter, you have value, would that actually communicate? Probably more than a sermon. Um, so, we've been married actually now for a little while. A couple of years. Seven. Um, 
What is, because one of the things that happens sometimes in the church is we're really good about having grace for things in people's past, right? So now that we're remarried, I didn't completely fall off the rails. I'm pastoring again. Some of the very people who, like, avoided me are completely fine and want to be friends again. So, so we were okay as long as my divorce is in my past. But while I'm going through it, it's different. Or we're okay if someone says, well, I used to be an addict. Yes. Because it's in the past. We have grace for the past. But we struggle as a church to have grace in the present. Yeah. While we're going through it. While we're struggling. Yeah. So, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I think some of that comes down to the, the condoning, right? Or the, the fear that somehow whatever that person's experiencing is going to be contagious. Um, and because, I mean, even like the addiction piece, like you know somebody's a drug addict and people will cross the street, like I don't want to be near them. They're a drug addict. But if that same person went to a program, got clean, walked in our doors in a year, just fine. Like, because it was before. But that person, in order to get clean, had people that walked with them through that journey, which is not easy, which is very messy, which has this roller coaster of up and down, two steps forward, five steps back, and got to the place where they could come in a year later, clean. The same is for divorce. It is a roller coaster that is never ending, it feels like, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and when you're going through it, it's extremely messy. And that's hard to be with people because conversations get awkward. They get uncomfortable. And so to then, I think, just be with people while they're going through that um, and acknowledge that you're being there to get them to the place where in a year, in five years, in seven years, they can be that person that is the future. Um, I think that's a big deal. Yeah, so if, if you're not actually trying to fix people or solve them, their problems, what, what exactly does Brief Prayer Worship do? Um, <laughs> we, uh, we show up and, and just support people. We just are, we listen and acknowledge where they're at. Um, and just kind of help them process and understand that all of their feelings, all of them, the anger, the sadness, the any emotion that you could think of, that it's okay. Um, and they can sit with those emotions. They don't need to put a timeline on it, which is a big one. I think, as a society, we want to put a timeline on just about everything. You have, um, you have three weeks for grief. You need to do all your steps. 
If you're not doing your steps, you're not going to get better. Um, you have, you know, five months after your divorce to do XYZ. Then by this point, I mean, everything's a checklist. And just acknowledge, like, your timeline is your timeline, and you're allowed to feel all of your feelings and to sit with them and allow people to process that and just be heard. Um, people want to be seen and heard as an individual. Um, we also struggle right now as a society. Everybody's in their phones. Everybody's behind a computer screen. Um, and nobody's actually seen as a person with real emotions and real value. And that's what everybody wants. Yeah, one of the things that's really interesting, uh, when I became the broken pastor, right, because I was going through my separation in our church, uh, other people who were hurting all of a sudden felt like it was okay to come forward. And I'd been doing church and ministry with these people for a while, and, and people came forward, and, and all of a sudden, like, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with depression, and I'm suicidal, and I'd really love someone to talk to. And, and while we looked pretty, that wasn't a safe thing for them to say. But being broken and being transparent with our stories, one of the reasons we share our story is not to be like promoted or highlighted. That's a lot of what we work. We just try to share authentic story because it creates safe space for others. Um, I had people coming, you know, oh, my husband's dealing with alcoholism, and I don't know what to do. I'm thinking about leaving him. And I've been struggling in Karen's burden alone. But all of a sudden, because I was the broken pastor, and I wasn't perfect, I, I was safe for them to come and talk to. Um, so a lot of grief, prayer, worship um, is its just that. Sometimes we end up showing up, and we meet somebody at a park, at a coffee shop, for a drink at a bar. Um, we've been asked to speak in various churches. It's really great. Like, let us talk about our divorces at a marriage conference. Um, and we've been able to have that um, opportunity uh, to just help people because the goal is, yes, there's brokenness, but we, at the core, we really do believe in redemption. And we believe that healthy is possible. And so we're not going to try to fix people, but we want to walk alongside people in their journey to whatever healthy looks like for them. Um, so we do have some practices, but we're running out of time, so I have time to go over all of those. Um, so uh, we also, I guess besides, I'm going to try to wrap some of this up. Uh, so we meet with people one-on-one, we do some conferences and classes, but we also share a lot of content on um, through blogs and videos. Um, and so if you are interested in learning more about what we do, I would encourage you to um, visit our website, which is just reprayworship.com. Yeah, I put it on the. I put some cards out there. And the website is on the card, so you don't actually have to remember that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the other, my theory is this, and this is if if we could build, and not just us, because we can only actually meet one on one with so many people. But what if this idea of ministry of presence was caught on, and we had a thousand people. Uh, and we had a thousand people who were also doing ministry of presence. 
who were also showing up for people? What if this caught on and people all across the United States were just showing up to say, you know what, I can't fix this, but I love you. Here's a cup of coffee. Here's a casserole. What if this whole idea, people talk about evangelism and ministry and different things, and what if instead of all of those things, people just really took on this idea and radically showed up to be present with people? How much could the world change? How deep of an impact could the church have? What kind of impact could West Portland United Methodists have in this community itself? If we really leaned in to a ministry of presence, really leaned in to becoming a spiritual safe haven for others. And that is, I think, the biggest challenge. Um, let's pray, because I'm out of time. I would love to talk about this more. Steve, if you want to um, jump up here. Uh, we'll pray, and obviously we'll stick around for coffee hour as well. Um, if you have questions at all about Reaper Worship 2 or you want to be contacted about just some of your own journey, you can mark that on the connection card and put it in the basket. Um, and we'll see that if you want it confidential and not shared um, with the whole congregation, just check that box and, and we'll follow up with you individually. But we do believe, and this is where also just the reality of what Jesus did, right? Jesus, God in person in heaven decided that a ministry of presence was important enough that he stepped into humanity. And the world was messy at that point. But this, this really is the model of Christ. Christ, being God himself, did not consider equality, this is Philippians 2, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He steps into human form taking on the role of a servant and becoming obedient even unto death so that we can be elevated, that we can be lifted up. And so that is the heart, is that we can be Christ-like and we can be incarnational. We can step into other people's brokenness and world. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much that you are a God of wonders. Um, I thank you that our stories don't end with brokenness and messy, that you're a God of redemption, that you're a God who believes in us, who loves us, who walks with us through our hardest moments with the belief and hope of getting us to a healthy version. I thank you that my story didn't end in 2013 when I thought I was done, when I thought I failed when I didn't think I had any worth or value to contribute to the world. That you chose to intervene. You chose to send people to be present with me, to believe in me, to encourage me, to give me opportunities. And Lord, I pray that that hope would permeate this congregation and this community, that no matter where we are in our hardest moment, that you desire a redeemed version of our lives for us. Thank you for that work. Your name.